Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 94. Doesn't she seem a bit too angry? This week we're discussing series 7, episode 1 of Doctor Who, Asylum of the Daleks, and season 1, episode 18 of Angel, 5 by 5 As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Asylum of the Daleks. All right. Yeah. We, uh... On, on to season seven. I know. Like season seven proper. Season seven proper, yep. Uh, the real deal. So, yeah. Uh, you said you had some production notes, I believe. So I do have a few quick things. Um, so, uh, this episode is uh, one of three in uh, 2012 which were nominated for Hugo's, so for the 2013 year. Um, the other two will come to when we come to them. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, nothing from the show won this year because Game of Thrones is now in the game. Um, and it took it that year with Blackwater. You know, it's kind of hard to argue with that. Um, but uh, just wanted to mention it. Um, so it's only the second Hugo lost since the show came back. So, you know, still a nomination's pretty good. And um, it's got to happen every now and then. It's got to happen every now and then. Um, so, there was also an episode of Fringe in the mix. So, it was, you know, a mix of Game of Thrones and Fringe and Doctor Who that year. Um, so, a bit of a change to the season structure again, which we'll talk about more as the season goes on. But, um, when last we left, we had the last couple episodes of last season aired in the fall, and then we had our Christmas special, and now uh, we're coming back in the fall. This episode premiered on September 1st, 2012, so quite a long break after Christmas, and it's the longest break since the show's come back, you know, in 2005. You know, normally it airs in the spring, um, but... Uh, you know, they're changing it up a bit this year. And uh, so there were some kind of frustrated people in that time, but uh, that's all right, because it's back now. Um, So the other thing I want to mention is uh, Jenna Coleman. So we're going to talk about Oswin and, you know, whatever we want to say about her. So I just want to kind of give you an idea of what the audience at the time may or may not have known because you know and I'm pretty sure everybody listening or most people listening know that Jenna Coleman goes on to play an important role in the show um later on um so it had been announced uh back so we're in September so it was announced back in March that she had been cast you know and would be joining the show um so but uh, nobody knew that she was going to be in this episode. It wasn't advertised. You know, they advertised the Doctor and Amy and Rory and the Daleks and all that kind of thing. But they kept mm. Oswin a secret. Um, so not only was nobody expecting to see her in the first episode, but as soon as everyone sees her, they assume, oh, she's joining the show now. 
So they weren't expecting to have her killed off at the end. <laughs> so it's sort of a double fake out. Um, so now you're kind of left at the end knowing or, you know, presuming that she'll be back at some point, but not knowing when or why or how or what that means. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I won't kind of confirm any of those things. We'll sort of let it go. But, um, you know, I didn't mention that to you that she would be in this because I think it's kind of nice to try to experience it the way that the, you know, viewer would have at the time. So um, that's about, you know... I just think it's interesting to know that audiences would not have known anything more than we do at this point about yeah. who she is or why she is in this episode. Um, so, yeah. And I didn't necessarily, I mean, I know we saw at the end of the Christmas special, the doctor go back to Amy and mm-hmm. Rory. So like you could sort of extrapolate that and say, well, they'll probably be right in this one, but I also know that I've made those assumptions before right. and that hasn't been correct. So like I didn't really have any expectations. Right. One well, way and or I, the other. in that way I kind of let you be a little bit more ignorant than the audience cuz I think probably it would have been advertised that they certainly it was like that they were in the commercials. So you would have known, yeah. oh, they're going to be in it. But like But even even those sorts of things can like can be misleading. They can be misleading. It could be like they're in it for three seconds at the beginning and then you never see them again. Like, so, you know, that I can totally see a marketing ploy where that, where they're used in that way or yeah, like it's, I don't know, a flashback or something silly like that. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I had no expectations, uh, expectations. Um, although, you know, we've talked before about how there's just some knowledge that's sort of unavoidable yeah. Uh, in, yeah. in these shows. So, like, obviously I was aware of Jenna Coleman, and mm-hmm. she's still she's still on the show. So I know that she, yeah. like, the current season, I mean. Yes, um, yeah. So, like, I knew that much, but, like, I didn't know when she was coming in. So when I saw her here and heard the name Oswin, of course, I had a similar sort of surprise myself. And I'm like, wait, wait, what did she just say? <laughs> yeah. And then like, and then, so my wheels are turning like throughout the episode. Okay. Is like, cause I know I knew her name on as a character name on the show mm-hmm. was Clara. Mm-hmm. And so like, does that mean Clara is like a nickname or a middle name or like, you know, I'm Oswin, but I go by, you know, right. like, uh, which, you know, even in this episode, you know, my, my first lover was named Rory. Right, no, actually right. it was Nina, you know, like right. it's, it's not totally yeah, unheard of. That could of to still have, be like, the case even at the end of this, like the issue of yeah. like, what's interesting about it is, uh, you know, Oswin is presented as a totally standalone character. You know, we get no real, uh, reference to, Clara at all if like that name no. or or the fact that you know she might be coming back like none of that it's it's sort of like if you didn't know that she was gonna join the show she would just be the guest star um yeah so you know it kind um, of it the, sets up the mystery but it doesn't really tease it too much it's sort of it's like it just just kind of just puts her there and doesn't really comment on her the other piece that I know that I you know would assume that viewers at the time did not know 
is that Clara's last name is also Oswald. So, you know, that obviously right. has certain connotations, you know, right. of the familial sort uh, that, you know, would potentially be implied by this to me. Um, on that note, though, it's not the first time where we've seen the same actress right. play a character and then later come back as a different character right. who is a major companion in the series, yep. thinking of uh, Martha yep. and whatever the cousin's name was, right. um, you know, in the in the yeah. end of season two there. So, um, or, yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So all all open options at this point. Yeah, and very interesting. So, you know, I wanted to not talk so much about her first off. I wanted to sort of talk about the situation, although I'm sure she's, like, part of the situation. So, like, sure. we'll, we'll kind of segue into Oswin's character as well. Um, but, I mean, certainly we get we get again sort of the Moffat flair for the dramatic, right? Mm-hmm. With the, you know, kidnapping, uh, the doctor and Amy and Rory with these like human Dalek hybrid creatures. Yeah. Uh, in order to have the doctor save the Daleks. Right. Like, you know, these are, it's like twist upon twist. Like right. you get these, you, you know, setting up the premise and, and, um, but I think, I think good in a way. Mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of waffled at the beginning of like, is this like too much or not? Like, <laughs> is it? Uh, but I think I think when you actually think it through, sort of logically, like as much as you can think through, uh-huh. you know, a speculative piece of fiction logically, yeah. like in the context of the world, and not you, you know the context of sort of the universe, right, and. Uh, the the knowing what we know about the Daleks and th- and you know their belief that there is you know something wrong with this asylum and that it's fearful to them in whatever way or whatever yeah like um, and knowing that the doctor is someone who goes around purporting to save people. And also to kill things like it does. There is sort of a sense there that it that it uh, that it works a bit. And I also and then, of course, so then you get the Dalek twist on that, though. Right. Which is the we're also going to endanger your companions because, you know, the doctor must have companions. Right. To get things done. I like that, that that it is known that the doctor requires like this is like yeah. ingredients. It's almost like Oswin's souffle. Like, okay, we need some eggs and we need some milk. And like, this is the, yeah. these are the ingredients which go into a successful, you know, doctor adventure. He needs his companions. Like, you know. Um, and I like that they end up kidnapping companions who kind of at this point don't really want to be there. But they're just sort of like, you know, because of what's going on with their lives. But you yeah, know, this like sort of there's... like, okay, well, you're here now and you have to, so we're going to shove you off and, you know, go for it. Well, and, and I think, I was going to say, like, I like that they don't sort of get it, like, with right. the companion. Like, they don't they really just understand know, like, why he needs them. 
the the doctor needs companions and these are these are like his most recent ones right. so we're just going to kind of collect them all and throw them together but they but it's kind of like even though they don't get it they still kind of end up it's like the right thing because right. of course what are they doing they're putting the companions in danger and that's when the doctor's you know right. sort of at his best so right. so like even though they don't sort of understand it it's like you know uh, you know, beginner's luck, you know, sort of way. If we're going like, if we're continuing sort of the baking analogy right. of like, you know, I don't know what I did, but it tastes good. So right, like, yeah. I'm going to eat it, <laughs> you know, like that. Yeah. Sort they of don't thing. So, understand why it works, but, but yeah. the ingredients do work, you know? Um. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think thinking through it actually, it actually works pretty well. To get the doctor there. Um, also, just as then, a as a nutty premise that uh, you know the doctor the, the Daleks, it's it's sort of, you can kind of see them thinking, okay, how can you do the Daleks in a way that they've never done before? And asking the doctor to save them is one thing we've never seen. So yeah. I love the doctor's like, well, this is new. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't know how to respond to this. That I've yeah. like honestly never you know, encountered the situation. So it's sort of just a fun kind of twist on what kinds of Dalek stories you can do. Yeah. And the fact that he does help them, like... Yeah. In not totally willingly, but, like, in the end, it it works. It like, does you work, know, that yeah. It, it gets the results that they were looking for, and, and he ends up helping the Dalek. Um so, well, and of course, and we could, we're, we'll talk about Amy and Rory later, but of course, like, there's the other, there's, like, the story premise of throwing them all together, right? Yeah. It's kind of to remind Amy and Rory of what is important in their own lives mm-hmm. kind of thing and, and you know, deal with the things that are going on. And we didn't, actually, we didn't really talk about the, the mini-sode right. things. Um, right, yeah, but, the, the, we'll link to the Pond Life. Minisodes. Uh, but we can, again, we can sort of touch on that when we get to Amy and Rory, but, um, like, just from, like, sort of the premise and situation of it all, like, there's there's sort of that going on in the background, mm-hmm. too. Um, so, the Asylum, I didn't... So... We get, we get the, we get the, uh, legend, right, from the Doctor. So he goes, according to the legend, you have a dumping ground, a planet where you lock up all the Daleks that go wrong, the battle scarred, the insane, the ones you can't, that even you can't control. Uh, it's never made any sense to me, uh, because you just kill them. And, and we get like, we, we get this idea of like what the Daleks are offended by. They're offended by, extinguishing such divine hatred (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) the the they have a concept of beauty yeah they have a concept of beauty which of course is the opposite of like yeah you know it's it's such beautiful hatred um yeah and and they're and they're uh you know at one point doesn't uh don't they say that like the the worst of the worst, the ones in like intensive care, are the ones that have like met the doctor and just gone like even more insane than 
Yeah, the well, others, I think so. that's that's not until they're kind of down there in like, like the center of the yeah. Oswin Oswin is saying, "Oh, these were like at the battle of this and the battle right, of that," right. and the doctor's like. Oh. oh yeah oh right <laughs> <laughs> those are all the battles i won <laughs> so yeah like oh by the way um yeah and and the fact that you know the daleks the fearless daleks are too afraid to right. even go down go down to this planet to do i you know what and i actually i didn't ever write it down like i don't what are they actually want him wanting him to do again so like what's sort of the they want to I, I this had is all the, the bit, stuff about like the legend and this like This is the bit that that, that seems a little Okay. So basically I think the idea is that the force field is not working because if ships are crashing then people are getting oh, in. Right, right. And so therefore these Daleks could be escaping and getting out. So I think they even though they're not supposed to distinguish their own, they're wanting to just destroy the planet and get rid of them but they can't they can't destroy it while the force field is still up so the doctor has to go in and turn it off it's it's still up but it's faulty but it's fault it's like unreliable and and yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, so the premise is a bit you know tortured but you know it yeah sure it it gets them down there and it holds up i think okay that's right. No, I, I I forgot that whole bit about well, and obviously like that's how Oswin gets there, right? Is because you have right. this ship that crashes right. and and all of that. So yeah. So the fact um, that she's crashed is like a signal that the force field isn't really working as well as it should be. Right. Instead, they should have just sort of smashed against it and died instantaneously. Right. I guess. Right. Or just not been able to crash it. I don't know where they would have gone. Floated off into space or something. I don't know. Yeah, or like bounced off or something. Right. Yeah. Um, hmm. So, speaking of crashing. So, yeah, we get Oswin and the crew of the Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when we when we see her... She's like keeping like a journal, mm-hmm. you know, and like talking about how she makes souffles yeah. and listening to classical music and uh but then we hear the Daleks, you know, the we will enter, we will enter mm-hmm. and like all of this uh you know, you see like the reinforced door. Yeah. And actually and, and she mentions vampires and it actually reminded me a little of um I am legend. Mm, the story, right, yeah. the, the actual story, not uh, the adaptation, sure. per se. But uh, which is, to be fair, the only one I have experience with. But even from that, I get the like the lone survivor barricaded yeah. against the horde, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I you, like. Yeah, that. there's even more. There's more so of that in the actual story. So I guess that's why I just sort of think of it that way. But anyway. Neither here nor there. I like uh, that kind of, um, her sort of, it's not forced, but it's sort of her, like, just kind of cheerful, you know, kind of stoic chipperness, you know, yeah. like, how kind of determined she is to be happy <laughs> in, yeah. like, the face. And I kind of like that, where, like, she's kind of joking to her self and you know trying to 
make food and listen to good music and have a good time. And then you hear the like, you know, Daleks screaming and banging and you can kind of see like on her face how disturbed she is by it. But then she just kind of turns up the music and puts her fingers in her ears. Like, you know, I, I like that yeah. about her, like that the way yeah. it's presented is like, she's just going to do the kind of keep calm and soldier on kind of thing. You know? <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, and we don't, we don't know how big the starship that she was on was like, we're, are we meant to believe that it was just sort of that one little room that little... or whatever that, yeah, almost more like a shuttle. Like, yeah, I don't know. The only, the only reason I ask is because she says she's the junior entertainment officer. Mm. So does that imply that there's a senior, a senior entertainment, entertainment yeah. officer? Like, you know, that, that like, was it big enough to have two entertainment officers? And like, uh, but that's, that seems to fit. Like, what you were saying about personality seems to fit, right? Like, oh, I'm the entertainment officer. Right, and, yeah. You know, like, like let's be chipper and, and... Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, have a good time. Um, yeah, yeah. So she's all about, like... Like, personality-wise, that seems to fit the description of... But we get that she's way more than just that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here's... A, so, like, you know, we, we get the repeated mentions of how smart she is. And clearly... She is like it, it's not just braggadocio, right? Like, I mean, this right. is like she's hacking into Dalek systems and this and that, which the doctor's like, who we also know is very smart. Like, yeah. he's like, I could never do that. Yeah. Like, so you know, she's able to do all these things that he can't. Is the implication like there seems to be two implications? One is that she actually is that smart mm. because the doctor says like the Daleks need smart people right. and that's why that's why you know they kept you and sort of converted you wholesale yeah rather than made you one of those like mutant whatevers um but on the other hand it seems like as a Dalek she would have access to right systems that would never be accessible to the doctor yeah I I think it's kind of a combination of both. Like, I kind of... Because it's sort of like... The Doctor definitely says that they select her for full conversion. Like, there must be something about her which is, you know, a a little bit above the norm. So, you know, her... I mean, the intelligence being the obvious kind of aspect of that. But I think... On top of that, I think by the end when we find out that she is a Dalek, that yeah. certainly explains the ease of, like, her hacking abilities. Like, into, yeah. maybe not as, like, a good, you know, you know, hacker. Like, maybe Osman was a great hacker on her own, but, like, especially into, like, the Dalek technology and everything. Mm-hmm. I think her telling herself she's just a really good hacker and she's a genius is like part of her own cover story because you know that's part of the the thing that she tells herself to not necessarily realize what's going on so i i kind of read it as it's a bit of both um yeah um yeah no that that makes sense and i think that that works pretty well uh and yeah, like I don't think that has to diminish 
like her capabilities, you know, before she no, because like even know, the a... doctor says, like we know the doctor's a genius, and he says this isn't easy to hack. So, you know, I don't think it's a slight to say her natural ability is probably enhanced by being a Dalek. <laughs> yeah. Certainly with um... the with the stuff she does at the end with like, you know completely hacking and erasing their own memory files and stuff like that. Like right. that seems you would like think even internally, the Daleks would have safeguards against that sort of thing. Right. Like, right. Then again, I've worked for companies that maybe didn't have the best safeguards. <laughs> yet. Never mind. We won't go there, but um, yeah, no, no, I think that all makes sense. So, and I, so I guess, and I guess we're meant to sort of think of too, right? Like this isn't like, a personality that an insane Dalek just sort of made up. Like this right. actually is Oswin yeah. who was somehow converted, yeah. which I guess we've gotten, we've gotten the, the idea of the Daleks converting people into Daleks before. Mm-hmm. I mean, several times. So that's not that far fetched, but like, Thinking of, like, what a Dalek looks like and what a person looks like. Mm-hmm. And they're not very similar. Mm-hmm. Except for, like, the hybrid no, person No, we're not Dalek. going into that. No. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. All right. Sorry. Sorry. We forgot about that. Um, no, but, like, so I'm curious as to how that, like, is this, like, human Oswin just sort of stuffed into a Dalek container and, like, hooked up... <laughs> You know, but right, like, you know, right, with like right. a, a brain cap or something like right. on her head, like, or like, right. is there like some what sort would of we biological... find if we open the shell? Yeah. Yeah. I read it and I don't know that we get a good, like clear answer that we can, this is just my, the way I imagine it is more of it's her brain and her thoughts and her memories, but her internal world is she's imagining it that like i think physically she's probably gone you know maybe i don't know maybe something maybe her brain is in the shell instead of Mm. like the mutant dalek i don't know um like it could be like a cyberman kind of thing where they like yeah that's what i was wondering um but I tend to read it as more that it's her consciousness that's still being preserved and it's, you know, created this little internal fantasy world where, you know. Yeah. Um, well, definitely the inter, you know, the whole fantasy world stuff yeah. is um, you know, clearly psychological. Right. Uh But yeah, and, I don't and, know, like this the little bits we get of her being converted do kind of seem like cybermanish of like, you know, uh, strapping her into some sort of metal and like doing whatever crazy, you know, surgery that they do. I don't know. Um, sure. So I don't know. I never really thought about it, but I suppose she might be in there. <laughs> Just terrible. But yeah, I, and I mean, yeah, neither here nor there. Like it's one way or the other. Like she's dead at the end. <laughs> uh, this is true. So. Um, or at least that's the implication. Uh, I, I think I like the way too, that they use the kind of clues about her world as like 
indications that something might be wrong. And, and like, you know, stuff about, like the doctor keeps bringing up, where do you get the eggs and the milk for the souffles? And, um, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that she hasn't been converted by the nano cloud and, you know, the fact that, you know, her timeline is, well, I guess that's more about the other guy they meet. It seems like her timeline and his timeline don't quite match up and all these things are just sort of like little mm -hmm. hints and clues that she might not. Because it like, it's sort of like when the episode starts with people being converted into Daleks, it's almost like you should be looking for Daleks everywhere, but you forget about it and you're kind of sold by her enough that you don't really consider it. But there are those little hints in there that, you know, something else is going on. And even like, it's not till I went back and watched it the second time that I even noticed like the viewports that she has to are look all, at. Like, of, you know, vision, are all like Dalek vision. Yeah. 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 So yeah, and like, her little periscope, yeah, you, which is like a Dalek eye, kind of the one that yeah. comes out of the snow and looks yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, you just you're just like okay, well, like she's in a part of the Dalek built facility, so maybe that's just maybe she's they just use the same equipment. technology, yeah. you know, for everything. Like it's <laughs> so. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that she is a Dalek, which, of course, we find out at the end that she is. So, yeah, no, that's that's all good. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know what more to say sort of about her other than that, like, she does seem to be totally human, you know, still like mm -hmm. and that's like, is this is this why she's still in the facility? Like, because, again, this is an asylum. <laughs> like, uh, and yes, like, I mean, in one sense, like, in one sense, she is, I guess, insane, right? Because she's sort of created her own mm -hmm. world and lives in it and, you know, isn't sort of adjusting to the world as it is. Right. But on the other hand, like, who can blame her? Right. <laughs> like, would, you know, I mean why would you want to adjust to being a Dalek? Like, right. And in some ways uh, it's the only thing keeping her sane, you know? Yeah. Well, and that, and that's where I was kind of going. Like, it's like, she's actually retained her humanity right. in this way. So like, is that so insane? Well, yeah, you know, to a Dalek. Yes. Like, right. so that's sort of like, you can understand why the Daleks want to keep her in there. Yeah. But like, on the other hand, like, I think we're actually, meant to sort of, you know, empathize, you know, as the doctor does, mm -hmm. uh, a doctor in particular, not that the others don't, but Amy and Rory kind of have their own issues going on. Right. So like, we don't, you can't really blame them for not, no, like, they don't interact with too her much. as much. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you know, so like on the one hand, it's like, yes, okay. She might be insane, so to speak, or at least even to the Daleks point of view, but it, it is this, in a way, it's like by going insane, she's maintained her sanity, you know, like right. because that's what keeps her humanity and that's ultimately what helps all of them escape. Well, except for her, escape. All the others escape. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I love that at the end, you know, I am Oz when Oswald. I fought the Daleks and I am human. Remember me. Yeah. You know. Uh, right. And, uh, and then again, after that, um, her, 
little look at the camera and you know the last lines being run you clever boy and remember um yeah yeah so yeah again reinforcing well like kind of her insight into the doctor with the running um and you mm-hmm. know the cleverness and you know i lo- i love the little exchange between them about uh what's the word for total screaming genius that sounds modest but a tiny bit sexy the doctor <laughs> you call me yeah, the you, doctor you call me the yeah. doctor yeah. <laughs> and so like they're kind of see what you did there the, see what you did they're kind of each other's match in terms of cheeky cleverness you know um but you know so the running and the cleverness you know and and you know and and i think if we and the audience know we will see Jenna Coleman again in some form or other, you know, it's kind of significant when she says, and remember me, you know, that like, sure. Remember me specifically, like now, you know, the doctor, you know, didn't necessarily hear her say that he also never saw her. Um, he only ever saw the Dalek. Um, this is true. So, you know, I didn't really think about that aspect. Yeah, that's you know a good point. So, like he doesn't know what she actually looks like. Right. Um. So we'll see kind of how that plays out. Um. But definitely that little nod and wink at the camera there that remember me. You know, um, mm-hmm. I'm important. Uh, you know, yeah. whether or not well she's aware of anything else, you know, any other significance, I won't say, but. Yeah, sure. There's, but the idea of memory and remembering is one that's Huge. sort of throughout this episode yeah. too, and 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 throughout the eleventh Doctor's. Yeah, and the, and the, uh, and the tenth too. I think that's been a theme for sure. a long time, sure. at least since Donna, if not before that. Um, yeah, no, that's a good point. But I, I, but like, yeah, I, I didn't mean to exclude beyond that. No. I, I'm just saying, like, there, it definitely has been a recurring one, like since the beginning of the Doctor. Yeah, and uh, and all I mean is, I would argue and, that and, it's a recurring theme of one of the biggest themes of the whole show, probably. Um, um so so this idea of memory and remembering, so like it comes up too when, uh, the Doctor's talking to Amy, mm-hmm. and Amy. Uh, is sort of like asking how to how to fight against this uh, you know nano whatever that's sort of invading them you know what what do we do she says make them remember you you know yeah. and um, but then like what's funny about that and or ironic in a way is that by the end they all all the Daleks forget right yeah who is who the doctor is and that's I mean. You know, and of course we get the Doctor Who, Doctor Who, yeah. you know, which is great. Uh, which also calls back, of course, to the end of um, the last season mm-hmm. where you had, you know, what's his, the yeah, head Dorium. guy there. Dorium. Yeah, like, yeah. yelling the out, first you question, know, yeah. the first question. So, like, I mean, obviously, you know, these are the Daleks, not the silence and, you know, different situation here and there. But, like, I, I kind of feel like they're forcing you to recall that sort oh, of... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know. and, and I think it's... Even though it's not something the Doctor does, it's something that uh, Oswin does, kind of, without his input. Um, 
I think it's directly connecting in with this idea of the doctor um, hiding and stepping back, you know? So, like, we got yeah. him, um, you know, deliberately saying at the end of the last season, like, you know, faking his own death, not telling even his closest friends that he did this, mm -hmm. trying to kind of keep a low profile and saying, like, I got too big, it's time to step into the shadows. Now, in the first episode, we've got Oswin erasing his memory from <laughs> from one of from like his... the biggest enemies um yeah. so yeah. it's a continuation of that idea um um and i and and where i was going sort of with the silence thing is you know the whole their whole shtick right is that they you see them but as soon as you turn away you don't you can't remember that yeah and that's now the doctor has sort of become that for right the Daleks, you know, like they, they're the ones who called him and were, you know, wanting his help or whatever. And now they can't remember why remember yeah. who he is or why he was there. And, yeah. you know, they think they're being attacked when he gets beamed back up, you know, kind of, you know, transported back up. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, no, it's, it's a good, is a good sort of turnaround on that. Um, yeah. That whole situation. there. Uh, so, and, you know, just thinking more about the doctor and um, I like that. I like that beginning in the beginning there, like when they're first in the parliament and like Amy's sort of narrating, mm, you know, yeah. uh, he he's chosen the most defendable area in the room. He's counted all the Daleks, counted all the exits. And now he's calculating the exact distance we're standing apart and starting to worry. Like suddenly it's like, yeah. Okay, he's taking care of all the threats. Now he's looking at the companions and kind of like yep. figuring out what's going on with them. And um, yeah, and it's echoed, you can see that echoed at the end when the doctor like lists all the things they have to do. Like, okay, we've got to, you know, get Oswin, get the force field down, get off the planet before it blows up, and fix Amy and Rory's marriage. Like he puts their relationship on the same level as all these other yeah, problems yeah. that you know need to be fixed. That these are sort of to-do lists before the end of the adventure. Um, mm -hmm. And he kind of treats them all equally. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other, the other thing that sort of stuck out is the conversation, you know, again, I, I think it comes towards the end of that conversation of uh, the fact that the Daleks are maintaining this asylum for its beauty uh, <laughs> or the beauty of its inhabitants, perhaps. Uh, you know, the doctor, the doctor's, you know, disgusted sort of by that. He's like, you know, you, yeah, I thought you run out of ways to make me sick, you know, and the, the prime minister Dalek or whatever right. he is, yeah. is like, uh, you know, perhaps that's why we've never been able to kill you. Like <laughs> just this idea of like, that the doctor, <laughs> that the doctor is, you know, has all this hatred for the Daleks and that makes him beautiful yeah. to them. Like, you know what I mean? Like kind of in, in this way. So, well, and, and, and Oswin's insight about, um, we've grown stronger in fear of you, that there's something about the doctor, which yeah. he, they, they absolutely hate him, but the world with the doctor in a weird way is necessary. Like they, you know, they they are proud and you know they're proud of their hatred of him and they grow stronger because they fear him and so 
they kind of like having him around in a strange sort of way. Um, yeah. You know, it doesn't mean they hate him any less, but, like, I don't know what you, you know, I, I don't know that you'd call that, like, a dualistic universe necessarily, but certainly the villain seems to thrive on the Doctor's presence, if not, you know, totally yeah. vice versa. Well, no, and there's there's very much, like, that's, there's sort of that, uh, theory, you know, evolutionary theory of, like, predation, mm -hmm. you know, behind that. And they even call him the predator, right? right. Like, it's, it, it's that whole idea that, like, you know, uh, the weaker ones get weeded out and only the stronger ones survive and, you know, so, or the ones most able to survive, survive. Right. Uh, whether that's due to strength or intelligence or whatever the attribute is, uh, you know, and there's, there, I mean, there's actually this whole evolutionary theory around, like, you know, okay, you know, the, the, the foxes catch the slower rabbits, so the faster rabbits survive, and, you know, they breed, so, like, now you have this whole new generation of rabbits that are genetically predisposed to run fast, even faster, but then, like, only the foxes that are faster can catch these new faster rabbits, so it's, you know, the, the foxes that can't run that fast end up not catching any rabbits and so they die off and only the faster foxes right. you know are the ones so like it's just like this this almost leapfrogging effect of of you know sort of this evolutionary theory and and you get that very thing with yeah that's sort of like the daleks implication there of of yeah or oswin's implication there of how the daleks have grown right stronger in their fear you know like it and and it's that i mean we can't ignore the fact that doctor who came about in the middle of cold war politics yeah. you know so there's very much uh uh you know mutually assured destruction right, yeah. sort of aspect to it yeah uh as well so um yeah and that kind of always um disturbing idea that even when he doesn't you know even with the doctor's best of intentions there's always a part of him where it's he has that symbiotic relationship with the monsters you know that even his fighting against them in some ways contributes towards you know you know like not intentionally but you know the fact that the Daleks make themselves stronger and more mm -hmm. deadly and crazier um, just you know just for fear of having to go up against him. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. What else with the doctor? Um, um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, with, uh, I was just going to follow up on the kind of fixing of Amy and Rory's marriage, too. Um, you know, the fact that he does treat that like a like a monster he has to defeat or problem he has to fix or whatever. And Amy kind of calls him on it about, uh, you know, we, right. um, what does she say? It's just life. That thing that goes on when you're not there. Um, mm. and it, 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 it's something you, you can't fix. Like you fix your bow tie. Um, now at the end, <laughs> we do see them more or less fixed and he does indeed fix his bow tie. Um, through his little, you, uh, you know, his little trickeroo with the wristband and sort of 
manipulates them into like declaring, you know, reaffirming that the fact that they do love each other. And then you kind of see him, you know, straighten his bow tie and wander off like, all yeah. right, that's that's the problem sorted. But yeah. you do kind of, you know, again, there's this idea that he does kind of solve the problem and fix the marriage. But, you know, life without the doctor is very different than life with him. And mm. you see them struggling a bit when they're not with the doctor. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's sort of been a while since we've had that reminder of, you know, those who are left behind, right. like, uh, you know, we get the Jackie and the Mickey and, yeah. and that. And, like, now we have the Amy and Rory mm-hmm. who become one of those, you know, or two of those people. And, um, yeah, like, you do get them sort of the reaffirmation of their love for each other, but also, like, the understanding that they were both misunderstanding yeah. the other person. So, like, you also get the sense that, like, it it actually, it wasn't that love or lack of love was ever the problem. Mm. It was this miscommunication mm-hmm. and that, um, you know, there is a sort of way where, like, because, you know, right from the beginning, we got the, you know, we got Amy going off with the doctor, obviously, right, you know, right there, her we- the night before her wedding, yeah. you know, she runs off with the doctor yeah. and sort of worked through all that. And Rory comes around to, okay, that's fine. I'll, you know, go with her and wait until she's ready mm-hmm. kind of thing. But then, like, the whole time they're with the doctor sort of is that hiatus then, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's that, okay, we're gonna just not talk about it Mm -hmm. but then the doctor leaves them and what do they have to do now they have to kind of either talk about it or they cannot talk about it but then it just sort of festers and we see what happens so uh it's not just like that it's love because like we find out they both love each other very much so like that was never the problem it was this it was this thing to do with kids and it was it was assumptions, you know, on, on Amy's part and on Rory's part. Yeah. But, like, it's, you know, I mean, like, you know, Amy's the one who sort of, which, okay, we get that she's maybe the bit more impulsive one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, but it's that, okay, I can never have kids. You've always wanted kids. Therefore, you don't want me, so I'm going to kick you out. Right. You know, like that that whole sort of twisted logic that all you know, dump you before you get the chance to dump me right. kind of thing. Right, Amy's before kind of you... abandonment issues coming up, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, too, her kind of being a little bit less, you know, we can get to Rory's flaws in a minute. You know, it's not like a one-way street, but like... No, no, not You know, I think her being a little bit less um, maybe emotionally intelligent than him, like, she's a little bit less in touch with her own... You know, yeah. Amy's not the most uh, self-reflective person. Like, she's a bit impulsive, and she's a bit more... She can be a little bit angry. She can be a little bit cynical. And, and her own, like, you know, not necessarily when she has these feelings of fear and insecurity, just not talking about them, you know, and kind of, let like, letting them fester, like you said, and not yeah. telling Rory this is what I'm afraid of, or this is why I'm, you know, perfectly legitimate 
things to be afraid of or things to be upset about, you know, what happened at Dean's run and everything. Um, yeah. So, you know, you can understand why she feels that way. And you can also see how, you know, yeah, like having, you know, Amy is more comfortable being the companion in the TARDIS running around having adventures than she is like living at home and talking about feelings, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's so yeah, Amy and the TARDIS, but like, you know, what's the line that elder Amy says? Right. right? Like Amy and the TARDIS with Rory. Yeah. Right. Like it's that, it's that last, yeah. you know, uh, uh, prepositional phrase there with Rory Williams yeah. that, you know, it, that she's sort of, missing and not remembering um and not remembering and so like yeah there's definitely i mean there's definitely problems there and it and it becomes clearly becomes that you know sort of seed um and i'm like we don't we don't hear the actual words of the fight you know right yeah we don't see the fight itself in the minisode, it's just like Rory leaving. He's kind of got this bag with him, and like he's running out the door, like yeah, you know. And there's, you can tell they're sort of angry and arguing, but you don't actually know what's being said at that point. It could have nothing to do with like babies and fertility, right? And yeah, like the impression like, I get is it's one of those like neither of them are really talking about what the issue is, and so you end up breaking up over something else, you know, something else entirely, yeah. but triggered by all this like. Mm -hmm. frustration and then with Rory too you know like you know it he may still you know he may have always wanted kids you know you definitely feel that that wasn't the issue for him I think he certainly wasn't putting that pressure on Amy you know I don't get that impression but yeah at least at least not consciously not consciously like like not intentionally um but you know, with him, it's sort of his own things, his own areas of insecurity. It's about, you know, he feels that, you know, the the balance is not equal, that he'll wait forever for yeah. Amy. He will do anything for Amy. He's this, you know, you know, uncomplaining supporter and defender and protector of Amy Pond. And it's he doesn't feel that it's reciprocated, you know. And again, like with Amy you can kind of understand why he feels that way, but you also feel like, you know, dude, you should have maybe he's, talked about this a bit. <laughs> and, and he's, he's playing up the martyr. He is, a bit. he is like, definitely. You know, I mean, he, he, he's definitely like, yeah, you know, that's one of those, like, yes, you did wait 2000 years. You got to throw that in my face again. <laughs> right, like, right, you know, right, yeah. What do I have to do to get over the fact yeah. that you waited 2000 years for me? Yeah. But like there, there is that aspect of like, True love doesn't bring that sort of stuff up. Right, you know right. what I mean? Like, well, and, and I, I don't the, mean to impl- I don't mean to imply that he doesn't really love her. Like, yeah, that was sort of a flippant way of explaining that. But like, the you know the that idea of like, yeah, you did, and and you did that because you love her, not so that you could like use it in an argument right, right. against you know her in some future case when you're angry like that's right well and there's a there's a slight aspect of like fishing for the compliment too of like you know well you know i love you more than you love me you know are are you gonna contradict me (laughs) you know like you know like that kind of wanting her to be sort of you know not necessarily having the confidence that 
she's shown that she does love him back. She's proved that, but he doesn't quite believe it or, you know, accept yeah. it. So, yeah. yeah, definitely a case of, and and it's funny how, like, the, the TARDIS scenario does kind of play into that. Like, even though we don't see much of their home life, you kind of do get this impression of, like, okay, ever since they've been married and, you know, for a bit before that, they've been kind of more or less living in the TARDIS and having crazy adventures and, like, not having to face this kind of real emotional domestic stuff, you know? And so suddenly, like you said, you're back at home and what do you have to do but sit around and either think about your feelings or not? Um, so, yeah. you know, even though it's sort of... I know there's the complaint, and I can kind of understand of, like, okay, Amy and Rory, their whole kind of almost divorce and then reconciliation is sort of disposed in the course of an episode. Um, and people kind of feeling, some people feeling like more time should have been given to that story. Um, I do kind of like that at least it is addressed, that, like, you know, it's not necessarily easy adjusting back to life, you know, at home without the doctor, so. Yeah, and, I mean, you get the sense at the beginning of the episode that they've been separated a while. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah, like, I don't, I actually didn't even feel that way when I was watching it, having gone through a divorce myself, like, you know what I mean, like, I didn't, I didn't get a sense, like, that that was, like, that big of a, of a problem with the, mm -hmm. you know, storyline. So, you know, it actually kind of makes sense because everything that they've been doing has been avoiding. So, like, right. I, I, do, do we know, do we, I don't, I'm trying to remember and, and I've, I feel like I'm stuttering a bit here, but I am trying to remember, like, if we ever get any kind of sense, like, has it been months? Has it been a year? Like, what, you know, what sort of time frame well, uh, between the, the minisodes and the beginning of this episode when he's looking to have her sign paper? Well, the minisodes, the thing is, the minisodes well, mark the months as they're going by. So it's sort of like April, May, June, July. I don't remember how many. But, like, so it's sort of like, a, a mini sewed every month or two. So this is sort of the time between Christmas and when we yeah, start yeah. again. Although I will say, I will say that I won't say what it is, but at some point in the next several episodes, we will get a timestamp of how long the whole pond relationship has been since we started, you know, cause with the breaks and yeah. you know, you're not quite sure, like, you know, between the end of season six and the Christmas special, Amy says it's been two years since she saw the doctor. So our whole kind of timeline's been kind of messed with a bit. So we will get, uh, at some point, they are going to talk about, like, how long it's been, basically. Well, and the, the only thing I was going to say is that, like, getting divorce papers, it, you know, no matter how bad like it is yeah. like if if you you know first of all like i i would find it hard to believe that like rory walked out of the house 
with a bag of trash and then showed up the next day. No, I definitely, you know this I mean? is, like, we're looking at like, at least weeks or months, I think. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, just from a legal perspective, yeah. like, that takes time to sort of draw those up, yeah. figure out, you know, what those, especially to the point where, like, I mean, I know this is sort of the movie trope, but, like, or the television trope or whatever, like, of, you know, here's the paper, sign this, and we're done. Right. Like, that actually, no, right. you then have to go through filings, and the judge has to approve it, and, like, like there's all these other steps. So, like, and even before that, there's, like, steps that were, like, it's the lawyers talking to each other. And, by the way, like, that never actually happens where it's, like, one former spouse goes to the other former spouse. It's always done through lawyers. But whatever. Like, I get the, I get the narrative yeah. reasons to yeah, do yeah, it yeah. that way. Like, it... It still isn't going to happen to me. So, like, the fact that, like, they're coming together now, like, they've already spent that time apart and, like, have gone through, like, those issues. We just haven't seen it. They've done it off screen. Right. And we can can see the pain behind it. So, I I didn't feel like that Yeah, and and it's one of those things of, okay, what are the alternatives? We want to watch, like, a slow self-destruction over the course of a season? I don't think so, you know? (laughs) Which isn't what Doctor Who does. No, no, that's not. This isn't. Yeah. Now, Buffy might do that. <laughs> and maybe I'm, that's yeah. a case of people b- wishing, not wishing, but, like, bringing expectations to the show that are not necessarily uh, fair, given the nature yeah. of the show. Right, you know? right. So, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like that part of it was, like, forced or untrue or anything at all. Um, you know, I, I, I think they handle the reconciliation like and and i actually at the end i mean yes they're they're together but like i don't get the feeling like that these issues and things that they have to talk are about totally are totally sorted if, yeah yeah if, even if we never see them talk about it again i feel like there's probably you know some stuff going on behind the scenes oh, yeah. you know in between episodes where they're dealing with some of that and it's going to come up and you know i mean that's just the way life works yeah and i think we've always seen amy and rory are not you know always perfectly happy you know they've had a number of this is certainly the biggest but like they've had a number of you know episodes and periods where they didn't always you know totally get along or see eye to eye or know how to you know express themselves or whatever so um mm-hmm. yeah definitely they have uh some stuff to you know because like you know it is this isn't just like a fight this is clearly like some deep-seated issues that each of them have about their own you know insecurities yeah. so um there's definitely more for them to work through yeah so but i i like that we actually do finally sort of get the acknowledgement of Amy as to how much she does love Rory. Mm-hmm. And not that like, I think, cause I think I could almost see this being like, uh, you know, sticking it to the fans sort of thing, mm-hmm. because I could totally see there being fans. Like I hate Amy because she treats Rory so badly, sure. you know, kind of thing. Like, yeah. And, and maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe it. No, I've I I've, would be, I've heard that sentiment. I w- I would be very surprised. But like I feel like this is that you know like the don't when she says don't you dare say that to me. Like I feel like she's saying that to all those fans who would say that as well. You know like this is 
yeah, okay, yeah. you waited 2,000 years or whatever, but don't you dare say it's because I didn't love you the same amount. Like, yeah. you know, first of all, there's they didn't even have the same opportunities to show that sort of thing. Amy, Amy might have very well stayed outside for 2,000 years waiting for Rory, yeah. too. And we've seen... Old Amy. When Rory goes missing. Well, yeah, and I'm and, thinking of the Amy who let herself be erased so that Rory could go off with young Amy, you know, so yeah, yeah. that's comparable exactly. to me, so, you know. So there's there's definitely, right, talk about, I mean, 2,000 years, that's forever. Like, that's, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah, no, there's. I think Amy um, is, and, and here's where we get into, like, you know, what constitutes like you know likable versus well-written characters and everything i amy sure. is likable like i uh, i know plenty of people love her i love her you know but she is not always the easiest person <laughs> you know like she you yeah. know is like i think definitely when we meet her is one of the more immature companions like just in terms of her upbringing and how she she has issues she has you know deep psychological issues and she's not always the best at you know expressing you know emotion or affection you know even to rory <laughs> especially to rory maybe um yeah but i don't think that's because she doesn't love him you know i think that's that's part of what Amy, what makes Amy a compelling and realistic character. Um, and even things like, you know, the, the joke, the kind of Scottish joke about, doesn't she seem too angry to you? Well, somebody's never been to Scotland. It's like, to me, beyond like Moffat just making jokes about Scottish people, um, <laughs> like, uh, like, that's, to me, kind of acknowledging that, okay, anger is part of her character. She's kind of an angry person, you know? And, you know, that doesn't mean she's not also loving and compassionate, you know? But, like, she's a little bit of a cynic, you know? And kind of, I think we see that, especially in this episode where we see her kind of at her more bitter, you know? Um, mm -hmm. You know, and then there's times where she's, you know, very childlike and very, you know, it, like she loves the, the, the TARDIS and the doctor. Like she can be very, she's not like totally jaded or anything, but like she doesn't necessarily have the kind of like romantic enthusiasm of like Rose, you know, like Amy's just like a yeah. sparkier personality. Um, so like, I don't want her to be, I don't think it's a good thing if she's mean to Rory, but also I kind of, you know people like that, you know, who are like, sure. you know, we all do that. We're all like kind of the meanest to the ones that we love and take for granted sometimes. Um, sure. So I find that kind of pretty believable. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and, and, and then just to finally sort of get that perspective of how she sees things. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rory, you kicked me out. Why? No, I didn't kick you out. I gave you up. I let you... Like, she was seeing it as setting him free right. to go pursue the things that he wants. And he doesn't see how, you know, 
in her mind how magnanimous that sort of right, is. You right. know what I mean? Like, like this. This is. I'm. I'm saying you're not trapped anymore to the. You know, to me who can't give you. Yeah. The things that you want, the children that you want, and. But again, she did that without expressing that this is what she's doing. So it comes across as yeah. I'm kicking you out. Right, it comes across <laughs> as, know. like, probably picking a fight about something else. And then, like, yeah. you know, sort of making that decision, so. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway. Good good stuff. I'm glad they're at least working towards reconciliation, if not actually reconciled. Yes. By the end, and uh, all of that, so. Cool. Well. Uh... On to another angry woman. On to another angry woman. <laughs> I know, between... Sorry, was that really misogynistic? Between Oswin and Amy and Faith, we've got a lot of angry women uh, running around this week. And, and Cordy's kind of angry, Cordy's too. Cordy's kind of angry, too. <laughs> Darla this, gets a little episode. angry at the end there. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Well, that's the theme. All right, so... Um, Speaking of Darla, I want to start because I feel like we can kind of lift, even though they're relevant, but in some ways they're less relevant, the flashbacks to like other times we've had flashbacks. So I feel like we can sure. kind of talk about them first. Um, and actually, I've got oh, you just a production. few. Yeah. Yeah, a few things real quick. Um, so we actually get a new writer, a new writer to the Buffyverse anyway um this week uh and this is um so jim koof koof k-o-u-f uh i think that's how you pronounce it um or kauf maybe i don't know um he uh new writer to the buffyverse so this is his first story for angel and he he never writes for buffy but he he does i believe write at least a couple Stories for Angel. But um, actually, so, you know, David Greenwald is the, the co-creator uh, of Angel along with Joss. And um, he and Jim Koof have uh, sort of a long history together. They wrote some, like, movies and stuff, like, going back as far as, like, the mid-'80s mm-hmm. um, together and kind of on on and off throughout their career have continued to work together um and actually uh jim went on with david to create the show the current show grim mm-hmm. uh which uh alexis denisoff is has a recurring role on that as well yeah um <clears throat> so uh yeah lots of good lots of good stuff but one of the one of the things where why that so tim minear in sort of his recaps of season one which we brought up before yeah. uh talks about jim and sort of his writing style and saying how uh you know sort of with his movie background and stuff he you know he had sort of a bigger view mm-hmm. of of kind of the story and stuff and he, and particularly he gets that uh, that way kind of with the ending fight scene where it kind of, you know, you have it, uh, and not that we haven't seen this before with faith, but you have it sort of going on to multiple like sets and locations, right? right? Like, you know, going from indoors to outdoors and, you know, kind of all this stuff. And that, um, kind of a funny, uh, thing is like he, he wrote the scene, 
so that when they get outside that, you know, there, there is rain, uh, happening while they're fighting or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and basically, uh, Tim Minear says like that just was not in the budget. Like he basically wrote the, the fight scene way too big. They had to kind of scale it back. They had to take out the rain, but then out of some weird sort of fortunate, you know, turn of events, uh, they ended up having like this really big torrential rainstorm on the day that they were filming. So that rain at the end is like actual rain. It's not even like, you know, studio rain or whatever. Like it's just kind of this, for two and especially for happened. LA, that's rare. So, yeah, yeah, they like he said, um, you know, that it was uh, the first night, uh, it was the first night of a big torrential rainstorm and that went on for like several days. Huh. And uh, nice, right when they started filming that scene, so um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty interesting. Um, cool, but anyway, uh so yeah, so that's so again new writer, but like you know one who'd been working sort of with Greenwald, uh, you know for a while and and uh, has continued to do. So. Yeah, it doesn't feel like he's new. Like this feels like a, you know, big weighty important episode yeah. and everything. So he seems to have got like the tone and the characters pretty much right. Con- considering the amount of like you know, mythology, the backstory, you know, yeah, with, with, with the flashbacks, but also with faith, faith and Wesley, and Angel too, yeah. and Wesley and all of their sort of interactions together. Plus bringing together aspect, like we've never seen, uh, Lila and Lindsay from Wolfram and Hart, right. You know, together before. Right. So like, this is sort of like, like you're also even just bringing like aspects of, the new new mythology, if that makes yeah. sense, like you know, together as well. So like all of these different pieces that are actually kind of complex and and yeah, um, whatever story wise, like he he seems to do pretty well with that. So yeah, and you know, I mean, and he's not a new writer in any way. It's just that no. he's new to the Buffy verse. It's so yeah. Cool. Well. uh... Okay, so to start with some of the mythology, um, you know, we get, uh, I guess if there was like a theme that kind of occurred to me when watching it, it was this idea of whether people can change, Um, you know, so, you know, we get that in several different variations, but at one point, you know, Wesley kind of brings up Angel as a, you know, example of somebody who changed and Cordy kind of makes the point well you know the gypsies gave him his soul so it wasn't exactly by choice you know it was sort of a magical you know a magically induced sort of thing which can be undone pretty easily with magic too um yeah so you know her point about scratch the surface you find more surface you know I I don't know that I would go so far as to say that Angel's, you know, remorse is skin deep. But, you know, there is this element of, like, you know, it is, he's sort of dependent on his sort of, you know, not biology, what would it be? Um, 
metaphysiology or something like you know whether or not like like it's not actually about you know whether or not he has the soul is the thing which enables him to make these better choices basically um and without it we can't so it's interesting to that like i thought that's at first it kind of i wasn't sure why we were getting these flashbacks like what does this because this to me is a faith episode like this isn't Angel's mm. not necessarily the primary focus of the episode, but I think on watching it again, it's interesting that they picked this, that, like, we finally see um, the moment when he does get, you know, we've heard about the gypsy girl a bunch of times, and we've seen certain bits of it. Like, we've seen, like, I think we saw the gypsies, like, performing the spell at one point, didn't we? Right. Um, yeah, we've sort of we sort of saw like the middle. Right. Of this like episode. we've gotten different. Like that's never actually shown, and now we're getting sort of like we're building building a cocoon sort of around. Right. Like that we've gotten certain puzzle kernel. pieces, and this is so the, like we're actually getting to see, you know, you know, okay, they're in Romania, uh, and then you know as soon as uh, you know they go in, and Darla shows the the gift that she's brought, and. Angel says she's a gypsy. You're like, oh no, here we go. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh it's all Darla's fault. Of right? Course. Of course it's Darla's fault. Yeah, and he kind of blames Eve, her. Eve, Eve gave Adam the apple. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what it all goes back to. Although in this case, it's a good thing, right? Uh, yeah, you know, no, for I, no. <laughs> for the wrong reasons, maybe, but not from Darla's perspective. No, no, and not from Angel's. You know, right away either. Um, yeah, that's that, that's true. It took him a while well, to sort of And that's the kind of one it. thing we didn't necessarily like okay, we could have imagined this like, you know, okay, maybe I didn't know that Darla was involved, but like nothing about it is that surprising given what we know, but I guess that was the most interesting part to me was to see how it gradually sort of dawned on him that like it wasn't like he just gets his soul back and he's angel now. Like he doesn't really know what happened. It's just that all of a sudden he has these feelings of remorse and like mm. horror that he didn't have. And not even remorse at first, just sort of like visceral disgust at what he's done that like he can't stop from thinking about, you know, all the people that he's killed and how horrible it is. Um, yeah. And it's sort of like, completely blindsided like doesn't even really know what's going on or why he's having those memories all of a sudden um sure and darla doesn't know either you know it takes her a couple minutes to figure out what's going on um and once she does she's afraid of him which is interesting you know like okay he's disgusting that he's like i i understand that kind of makes sense that she would think that but like that she seems like, even though he's kind of completely out of it, she seems like threatened by him. Like she wants him to leave, you know, mm. and has to like defend herself with a chair and threatens to stake him and stuff. Um, yeah. So, you know, and then, you know, to continue that, like the fact that he still has the urges, you know, which is a good reminder for Angel as we know him. Like, it's not like the urge to bite and drink blood is not still there um right he just presumably can control himself um but here we see him 
having these feelings of guilt, but unable to control himself, you know, at least for a little while. Um, It's like, it's like you hear, you know, about addicts talking about, you know, they give up alcohol or drugs or whatever, but that doesn't stop them from wanting craving it. Yeah. You know, from craving it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And the same way I'm sure it like it gets easier over time, you know? So we see him in the beginning here of like, he's sort of, been forced to go cold turkey and he's having like major withdrawal you know um but so he kind of attacks you know the woman and starts to you know bite her but doesn't kill her doesn't go all the way he you know there's something in him that is i guess repulsed enough that he manages to stop um Mm. so it's interesting like um well, yeah, and and we do get we've gotten sort of a sense of how long it took him to get to that right. point too. Yeah, because we've seen him like with um, with Whistler. Whistler, I couldn't think of his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and that's like, a while explains, later. Like, like well, yeah, years I, later. Think, <laughs> I think he says it's something like ninety some years right. or something yeah. like that. Like, yeah, like that he's been and and. When Whistler finds him, he's in, you know, gutters, biting rats, you know, like that kind of thing. Like it's, you know, so we, I don't know that Angel moved that far between, you know, 1890 and 1990 or whatever, you know, whatever the years are there. So, yeah, anyway, that, that's definitely... Uh, definitely something to sort of think about, like, with, yeah, that it's not, like, and I think we, you know, I think that's kind of Cordy's point, right, is that just because you have a soul doesn't mean you're a good person. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it, in in sort of terms of years, you know, if Angel has had a soul for a 100 years and he's been fighting crime now, what, four right. <laughs> <laughs> you know <Yeah>. like <laughs> and yeah. and even that like even the stuff with like like the early seasons of Buffy were like how much was he kind of really doing right you know yeah. what I mean like he right. he doesn't right. even he like, wasn't so much fighting crime as sort of helping Buffy out a bit like yeah sort of giving her some tips here yeah, and there yeah right it's true no so, and it is easy to forget all that stuff when you kind of have hero angel, you know, yeah. saving the day on a weekly basis, you know, it's nice to have these little reminders. Um, and I yeah. mean, like just on that kind of overarching theme, like, I guess when we get to Wesley and Cordy, we can talk about more of their perspectives, but it's interesting that Cordy's position is that just having a soul doesn't make you a good person or capable of change. You know, Wesley seems to think that, you having a soul means that by definition you are a good person and capable of change. That if you're a human, yeah. you have a soul. And therefore, deep, deep down, yeah. there must be, you know, Wesley is that, you know, idealist who believes in, you know, the best in people. Um, you know, and we can talk about some nuances of that, I guess, even from his own perspective. But like, those are our yeah. two poles that we get presented with, I guess. Uh, 
I also think, so as far as the flashbacks go, I think, you know, one of the things that sort of cumulatively, not just in this episode, but all the ones that we've sort of seen is like, we, we heard way back first season of Buffy, right? Mm -hmm. Like when Darla was working with the master and, you know, before she gets staked quite early on, Mm -hmm. like that they were together for this long amount of time. And so like, I think, I think one of the things that we're seeing is like, you know, although obvious for obvious reasons, she was staked, like, you know, we can't have Darla sort of be in the show now, but this is a way to kind of get, you know, sort of, not retconning, but sort of like fleshing out maybe of like what what exactly she was like. because yeah. it's easy like now now that we've seen her and and we had a few flashbacks in Buffy too so it's not the only but I think you know now that we have Angel as sort of this new character it's like oh we should probably talk about this person who was a defining part right. of his his life for a hundred and forty years or whatever you know it is that right. they were together. Um, well, that's where Angel, the spinoff, becomes kind of fan fiction-y, right? It's like, okay, now Angel's the star. We've taken a supporting character and made him the lead. Now we need to flesh out what we know about him. And so yeah. kind of comb through, okay, what do we know? Okay, we know that he had this relationship yeah. with Darla. And so this is a good way to, like you say, flesh that out and show more of it and kind mm-hmm. of see how that relationship got started and how it ended and how it worked and everything. And, and just from a storytelling perspective, it's interesting, I think, because you do get like these things, like, yeah, we got the scene before where like the gypsy woman actually curses him, but now it's like, what were the things that led up to that? And then what are the things that happened immediately after that? Like, and then maybe we'll see like a few more steps away, you know, in either direction, like, you know, different, different aspects of that. So um, yeah, like by I, the I, end of the season, we're getting a pretty complete picture of Angel's, yeah. like, Angelus's history, you know. The tra- the transformation, especially, yeah. part of it. Because I think I think when we think about faith, because the other thing is, too, like, when we're, when we're thinking about faith and sort of the whole ending of season three and, and especially, well, actually even going back to season two, when sort of Angelus... Uh, was doing his thing and then you get or I'm getting confused now so then then you get the part where like Angel what what was the whole thing where it's like you know you know Faith is like you know I'm the best actor whatever and mm-hmm. Angel's like second best right. you yeah, know yeah. like you know I'm I'm actually not Angelus right now so yeah. you get this whole thing of like I guess that was season three. So, like, you get this whole thing of... Um, yeah, Buffy and Angel kind of set up that little scenario. Uh, but you also get the, you know, the parts where Angel is legitimately trying to reach out to Faith. Mm. Because mm-hmm. he's, you know, saying to her, like, I know what it is to walk down a dark path. Yeah. And oh boy, you're does walking he. down yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and... and like I feel like I feel like one of the things why I like this storyline and well like obviously you know we end with you know Faith sort of embracing Angel while she's 
or you know like half-heartedly be or like tenth-heartedly right. <laughs> you know beating yeah. you know against him like like clearly not slayer strength at this point right, like right. she's sort of given up the the pretense in a way uh you know but like that like what how does that change you know where is angel is angel actually now able to get through to her when buffy's not around because mm-hmm. that's kind of the thing that ruins it isn't it like as much as we might like buffy like there is an aspect of like when she's around faith can't listen to anything else because yeah. she just can't stand right buffy you right. know i mean like it like there's just people like that there are i i'm sure many people have that one person where like it doesn't matter how rational or nice or whatever they will be you will still always just despise that person well like, and i think too like buffy's niceness and wholeness is part of that problem that she just can't understand in the same way that like angel can talk to faith at meet her at her level you know like i like literally know from experience what it's like to go down this dark path you know whereas yeah you know she can't hear that from buffy you know like and it's kind of like why you know a lot of people like trying to be nice to someone who's struggling with something always like not always but often end up like saying the wrong thing and putting your foot in your mouth you know because you just don't know what it's like um and maybe the person is being dismissive when you're trying to help but you know i think it kind of puts them on the defensive to for faith to feel like she has to compare herself and justify herself to buffy all the time um yeah, whereas she probably can be more honest to Angel. Um, and, yeah, I mean, even with all the talk about changing and, like, can people change and everything, I still didn't really see that ending kind of breakthrough coming. Um, and I think mm. it's because it's been dangled in front of us for so long like there are so many pretty much ever since we've met faith and she started to kind of go off the rails a bit um i've been kind of waiting for like when's she gonna have the the breakthrough you know like what's the, gonna the come to jesus you know, moment. Like, yeah, yeah like, like that kind of yeah. epiphany you know or the moment of clarity or whatever you know, kind of metaphor you want to use but like you know, it's like, is, is, is killing someone going to do it? No, nope, that's not going to do it. Is like, you know, trying to kill Buffy going to do it? No. Is the stuff with Angel going to do it? No. Is coming out of the coma going to do it? No. You know, the body switching? No. Like, it's just been like, and I'm not like complaining. Like, I think this is good storytelling, but it's just been like one after the other of surely this will be the thing which shows her how messed up this is. And it's just mm-hmm. not. So, like, by the time we get here, I'm, like, not even expecting it. You know, like, I'm expecting more of, like, the kind of faith that we've gotten to know where she just, like, keeps digging yeah. that hole deeper. Um, so that's good. That's effective, you know. Like, it threw me kind of off. Um, yeah. And you're right. Like, maybe 
being away from the Buffy show and being in the Angel show is what allows that to happen. Yeah, and so... And, and it's interesting to me, too, like, which you don't really get until the end when she's saying, like, kill me. Right. <laughs> like, I'm bad. You yeah. know, like, that, like, that's what she was expecting. Yeah. You know, she was expecting not to kill. I mean, she might have killed Angel, but, like, either way would have been okay with right. her, kind of, in a way. Like, right. Like, she also wants it. And so you do get the, yeah, with the talk about souls and the people changing, you... Wesley is kind of right even though mm-hmm. we get Wesley ending up being cynical about sure. it too like yeah. like you know he he even says you know I know the real you and I know you're just a piece of yeah doesn't get to finish this his word, sentence yeah this word that I'm you know that's going to be cut off strategically right. so as not to offend the censors right. but uh, we all you know, know like, what it is yeah yeah and and Given Wesley's position earlier in the episode mm-hmm. of, like, anyone with the soul, like you said, is kind of automatically good. Like, we see here sort of what he really thinks, mm-hmm. and that might not quite be true. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Well, I'll have to keep that in mind as we get to know Wesley more, because that's one way to read it. Um, the yeah, other thing I, I kind of had thought at the time was, like, I do think Wesley seems to be the kind of optimist about human nature like you know i i don't i didn't disbelieve him when he said that so it made me wonder you know okay he is like you know being tortured and maybe going to be killed soon and kind of in a helpless situation and like is that kind of like he has to do something to stay alive and keep fighting and like like, you can't be compromising in that situation. Like, he's just kind of decided, like, reasoning with Faith is not going to work. You know, appealing to her better nature is not going to work. So I'm just going to, like, you know, piss her off. And maybe she'll keep torturing me and not kill me or so. Like, it could have been a kind of, like, strip strategy to stay alive kind of thing. Um, you know, because, like, so I was afraid when he picks up the knife because of course just as she's starting to like you know beg for death then wesley picks up the knife and you're like oh no you know here comes the like ironic death in the moment of redemption kind of thing um but he doesn't do it he kind of drops the knife when he sees Mm -hmm. what's happening and that to me suggests that like he's not completely hateful like he you know will kill her you know to defend angel and if that's what needs to be done but like but he's not so you know vengeful that he can't recognize that like she's having some sort of a breakthrough no no and and so like you know going back to calling her a piece of whatever maybe it's just the moment of weakness or maybe it's you know Maybe him going out there with the knife and seeing her break down is his realization that, you know, shoot, I was wrong. I should have right. not doubted my, you know, usual stance right. kind of thing. Right. Um, but, you know, I think 
with Wesley, you get sort of a similar effect as, you know, between Buffy and in between Faith and Buffy in that, you know, he doesn't quite see things clearly when he's mm-hmm. with, and I mean, you're right. He is being tortured. <laughs> like, it's not like, you know, right. they're sitting there having tea and crumpets. Right. And, yeah. Like, I'm not sure. Um, Does that stress mean that he's unguarded and these are his unfiltered, like deep opinions on things and the way he really views the world and people or is the stress of the situation like mean that it's not necessarily what he really thinks and he's sort of this is an extreme situation and you know you take everything with kind of a grain of salt um i'm not sure you know i don't i don't know him well enough yet to know like is he as kind of sunny about human nature as he says, or is that kind of masking some like more cynical thought underneath it? Sure. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe one or the other. Well, could be. We kind of got talking about Wesley. Did we have anything um, else for Faith? Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, one thing, one thing I noticed at the beginning was kind of the way, like, and maybe this should have been a clue to me that like things were coming to some sort of like change because I did notice like as soon as she came on, like they have her kind of styled in a way that she looks really sort of, you know, emaciated and tired and like. You know, like, when she goes out to the club, she kind of looks, like, better. Like, she gets, you know, better makeup and everything. But, like, when you first see her, she has this kind of, like, hollow-eyed, you know, homeless kind of despondent look about her. Um, So, like, you can just see, like, the strain of, you know, the life that she's living. Um, Mm. And, you know, and Angel kind of calls that out at the end. Like, you feel young, you don't look young you look pretty worn out um and actually that reminds me i wanted to bring up the timing Mm. because we get uh once you know once things are like you know once they find out faith is in town and angel presumably calls giles uh you get the explanation that uh she left sunnydale a week about a week ago, which mm. we know it's been more than that, like in real time, because right. it's been it was was like several at least a couple episodes ago. Right. So like maybe that's neither here nor there, but like your your point about like she looks like she's somebody emaciated or whatever. Like this is we don't know where she's sort of gone. Yeah. In between Sunnydale and L.A., certainly like. All right, Sunnydale is a fictional place, but like, it's Southern California. Like, a bus trip isn't going to be more than a few hours, most right. you know, at most away. So, um, and I think we even get like we know that like Buffy goes to like L.A. on the weekends, right. like sometimes to see her dad, or did at one right. point anyway. Right. So like, like we're not we're not talking like it should have taken her a week to right. get to L.A. 
uh, and and you know, assuming that that's that's at it's accurate, even though it seems like it may have been longer based on the episode, uh, you know, time. Like, she clearly must have been doing something or gone somewhere else in between, uh, you know, one or the other. So, mm-hmm. what that was, we don't we don't know, and we don't have an explanation. Certainly, at least not at this point. So, like, yeah, just want to sort of throw that out there. Um, but but I think your your point about like sort of the way she looks and that she's sort of world and travel weary mm-hmm. and you know something has been happening to her yeah. uh, that seems to have taken a bit of a toll. So yeah. So I, I guess all of that to say that like if we think about that in context of her character, then mm-hmm. like is this like you know now she's like tenderized and ready right. you know to like be put in the frying pan right so right like she's just been beat down so much yeah yeah like so maybe and she accepts the offer to go after angel really quickly. oh yeah <laughs> yeah you know like yeah again like thinking about what happens it's like so what's her motive is it to actually kill angel or is it knowing that he'll take her but like i feel like I feel like it seems like she definitely wants to kill him at that point mm-hmm. and is looking to, but it's hard to tell with faith because you don't know what's posturing and what isn't, right. you know? Right. Yeah. And, and it could be, it could be one or the other, or it could be both, you know, like, Hey, if I kill him, I get money and the satisfaction of he's gone. And so that's good. And you right. know, there's that bit of a death wish there of, well, you know, if he gets me, then what a relief, you know? Um, right. So, like she says, like, it becomes like a game, like, you know, and she kind of treats it like a game and treats it really cavalierly. Like, she doesn't totally just, like, lay down and, you know, she doesn't put up a fight, but she's not trying that hard either. She's sort of toying with him and, like, you know, like, showing up in the public you know, place and then going to his office. Like, she has opportunities to kill him and doesn't, you know, and Mm. kind of gives him opportunities that he doesn't take. So you could definitely read that as her kind of, like, you know, and even, like, with Wesley, like, part of it's personal, you know, about, like, you know, you sucked as a watcher and it's your fault, you know, like... She kind of wishes that... And tried to have her imprisoned and sent away. Yeah, so, like, you know, her being sort of just resentful of him and wanting to kind of, like, make him pay for that. Um, But also I get the sense, too, of, like, you know, attacking Angel's friends is a good way to provoke him, you know? Like... Yeah, yeah. And that is the one time that Angel really does try hard is at the end, like, once she's really crossed the line, you know, with Wesley, then, like, okay, they're not playing anymore, and now it's, like, a real fight. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I think that death drive is definitely in there somewhere. Yep. Yeah, no, I think that's that's right. Um, And that's not the first 
first time we've seen that either. Like even no. when like she and Buffy were slain together, it was right. like the, you know, hey, let's jump into this nest of vampires right. and see yeah. what happens. Like, yeah. I think that's fairly consistent and tact with her. Well, and we know her. from the last time she was with Buffy that self-loathing is in there. Like all the stuff about like, you know, you're evil, you're disgusting, and like at her yelling at herself, you know. And so you can kind of, we've already kind of gotten the hints that she's not quite as proud of herself as she claims to be. Mm. Yep. Um, um, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just taking a look at my angel notes. Um, let's see. Well, I mean, we kind of talked about angel. I'm not sure that I have... Much else, yeah, really. no, really, the flash between the flashbacks and the stuff with kind Faith. of the the stuff with Faith. That's most of the it. The only thing I um, thought might be worth mentioning is Faith's mention. Uh, I don't take this literally, but her mention about you know if because he wants to kill her. If you kill me, maybe you'll experience your moment of pleasure, and you know, and everything. No, and yeah, it's yeah. sort of like again. It sort of just hints at this idea of what would constitute, you know, a moment of bliss. Like, okay, we've been presuming that it must be, uh, we've kind of established, I think, that it's not necessarily just sexual, but we've been presuming that it's been, like, tied to, like, romantic love. But, like, do we even know that, really? Like, whether or not killing would do it, like... It does any like sort of perfect bliss count? Like what, what, what other kinds of things could give Angel that you know state? Yeah. So it sort of just made me wonder, like, huh? Like I could really broaden this out some more, and right, you know, like could it just be a a feeling of contentment, right. or even like you know we got we got you know with the last episode like sort of the synthetic, right, drug you know aspect of it. So like right. you know. Yeah, there seems to be... It just made me kind of wonder more about how how wide is the scope of things which could work yeah. for this. And and I think that works the same way as we were talking about with, like, the flashbacks. Like, it's like, now we have this, we have this premise, this kernel, mm-hmm. and let's take a step out from that and see if that works. And then let's take another step out, you know, and see if that works. And, yeah. and you know, what are what are the ways in which we can sort of talk about all of these different things um so yeah i definitely think definitely think that that's worth keeping in mind Mm -hmm. that that maybe there are multiple ways for him to sort of have this moment of happiness that is potentially dangerous yeah um Well, and we kind of talked about Wesley, too. I guess with Wesley, I'm just kind of interested to see where he goes next time. Like, you know, I don't think he's going to be quite as naively trusting about Faith as he was, you know, about, like, well, you know, she's just a sick girl and she needs our help. Like, I think he knows a little bit better than that now, but I also still don't think that he's, like, totally given up on her i think the end shows that you know he's willing to give her a chance so i'm i'm curious to see like what 
their relationship is like. Um, he he does drop the knife. He does drop the knife. To his credit. Yeah. So, uh, we'll see also what Cordy, yeah. how she reacts to whatever may be coming next. Like, she yeah. has no love for Faith either, so. Yeah, this is true. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we, before we go, though, we cannot fail to talk about the Wolfram and Hart, Hart yeah. people. Um, yeah, who, as we were typing at our notes, and I was saying their names out loud, I realized they all have names starting with L. And then you look them up and realize they also all have last names starting with M. I don't know that that's important. I think probably it just sounds cool to have people with all the same yeah. initials, like, in the same organization. So, anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, just a note. Yeah. There are other characters who come in, you know, to play from Wolfram and Hart that do not follow that pattern. Uh, yeah. Pattern. So, so like, I don't, yeah, I don't know how far we can stretch it. I think it probably was one of those things, like, where in the writer's room they, they were just like, huh, wouldn't it be funny if, like, right, right. the Wolfram and Hart characters were LM? Uh, um, yeah. So we get Lindsay McDonald, we get Lila Morgan, we get Lee Mercer. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that's that's fun. Um, I don't know that it's important or significant in any way. Um, uh, so this is this is the first time. So yeah, like we were kind of saying, this is the first time where we have kind of like multiple right Wolfram and Hart people too. So like, you know, we get a bigger sense of like that this is sort of a law firm. But what, one of the things I wanted to point out, make sure we at least notice, I don't know how much there is to say about it, is is also the sense of competition between them in turn, yeah. you know, in their internal affairs, yeah. so to speak. Uh, and we get it a couple ways. We get it with um, Lila and Lee, mm-hmm. right? You know, Lee coming up with this plan to use Faith uh, to kill Angel. And Lila's like, well, I happen to know where, know where Faith is, and I'll be the one to deliver. The, yeah, like, she sort of swoops in and, and like, takes over his project. Yeah, yeah, or, you know, sort of an internal version of a hostile takeover. And um, we also get it with when Angel is sort of, uh, you know, doing his own sneaky recon. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and he runs into this... <laughs> this lawyer who's like just assumes hey, that he knows him. Yeah, yeah, I saw you. Like he's like you were at some meeting. Oh yeah, yeah, I was there. And like you know the stuff there. And but like it. So on the one hand, it's just sort of like typical office gossip. Oh, how incompetent this other department is being. Right. But on the other hand, like it does give you more of that sense of like that there's some rivalry going on, and that there's like perhaps this is true in any, you know, significant sized law firm, but that there's some kind of, you know, uh, uh, heavy desire to succeed and be noticed Mm. uh, succeeding. And I love that line that Lindsay gives of, you know, I hate failure when there's no one else to blame it on. Like, you know, it's just that, it's that idea of like, he's happy to take any sort of success as his own, but like when there's a failure, he's always looking to pawn it off. Yep. On who can I? Else. Who can I shove this onto? And that, like, yeah. within the rivalry, not all players are equal. Like, you definitely get the sense that Lee is, uh, 
not on the same level um, as, you know, Lindsay and Lila. That, like, you know, he does have a good idea. Um, you know, like, it's his plan to contact Faith and everything. But he, like, kind of is a pushover. Like, he kind of lets them take it over. Yeah. You know, even though it was his idea. And then <laughs> and then he, like, tries to, like, bully Faith into doing what they want yeah. and gets his butt kicked for, you know. So he doesn't yeah. have, like, the manipulative... And... He's, like, you know, has these ideas, but doesn't have any skills of, like, manipulation, either over his coworkers or, you know, or Faith or anybody. So... And... And the fact that Lila and Lindsay just stand there sort of calmly watching. Yeah, and it, like, proves then, to like, them how awesome Faith is. And 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 update their dinner reservations right. accordingly. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's no real, like, concern. Yeah. Like, these people are not really friends, you know? They don't yeah. really uh, right. care about each other. They're, they're, this is, like, a business thing. They're not that, you know, yeah. worried about which, each other. Which, of course, is is the contrast, right? So we're meant to contrast that with angel investigations where, you know, they're close knit friends slash family and, you know, none of them would ever just stand there watching one of their fellows get, you know, beat beat up up by someone or something. So, uh, definitely, definitely get the sense of this ruthless, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the other part that I like with Lindsay is when Angel comes in and they, you know, they have their banter and whatever, and that's fine. But the, um, all like everything Lindsay says is like from a legal perspective, like very, very well rehearsed. It seems like of, you know, denial sort of smooth deflection and, uh, turning around and insinuating that Angel is in fact any getting just getting himself in even greater legal trouble by well, you know every word and with, that leaves his mouth. And with faith too that he like wants her to take care of Angel. We don't advocate the killing of it's like, okay, for the record, you know, we're not yeah. actually gonna Yeah, we don't advocate he, he the killing says of humans. humans. Right. So like we're but, covering our like legal yeah. butts, you know, but you know, wink wink, you know what this means. Um, right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like definitely, and and Lila. I mean, Lila, I think you're right. Lila and Lindsay sort of seem to be kind of on the same level. Although it's also clear that they're both like junior, like they're they're like associates or something. They're not right. Like, they're not running the even place. Like, yeah. Yeah, they're certainly not like junior partners. Even like you know, they're they're low level. Yeah lawyer you know low level sort of workhorse lawyers who still are having to get their hands dirty and and all of that but that they're potentially rising stars you know right well and they're definitely smart but they're not like you know like a uh uh lindsey in his sort of confrontation with angel and lila when she's with faith they both kind of seem like they're a little bit out of their depth. Like they have everything like prearranged so that they're okay. Like they figure out how to protect themselves, but there's a sense that like if angel or faith, you know, wanted to do anything to them, they totally could. And like, really like, so there's 
a slight risk involved of like especially with lila you kind of have that yeah. sense of she's a little bit nervous like even though she's more competent than lee she seems kind of like a little bit antsy when she's talking to faith you know and and it could have gotten ugly there for a second so um mm. you know like yeah. they're definitely like maybe rising stars but they're not they don't have like the confidence of like one of the like big bad villains that we've seen they seem like a little bit lower yeah. than that and we, and they're not like monsters either i mean they're people so that makes sense right right we we get less of the sort of traditional buffy big bad with angel um wolfram and hart continues to sort of be like a presence that they run up against obviously there's other yeah stuff that happens too like it's not always just like wolfram and hart but that it like on the whole like, I don't think this is giving anything away, per se, but on the whole... Because, you know, there are still different, like, aspects and whatever. Um, but on the whole, I think, you know, Wolfram and Hart kind of takes over that sort of, like, seasonal big bad mm -hmm. and sort of turns it into, like, a long-term, mm -hmm. more, like, nemesis-type right. thing. Um, but we can... Well, t I mean, I think it's no surprise, given what we've seen already, that yeah. we'll see more of... Lindsay and Lila, at least. I don't know if we'll see Leah again. Uh, <laughs> and and Wolfram and Hart in general. So. Okay, cool. All right. Anyway, yeah. Well, so next week we have another Buffy. episode of Buffy and some Doctor Who. And we'll see where this all takes us. So. All right, see you then. <laughs>